0: Before I jump into today's episode that's all about product management for data products, in case you missed it, I just hosted a new webinar on Crowdcast. You can access all of my past and future webinars on the speaking page of my website and see what conferences and events I may be speaking at as well. Additionally, if you subscribe to my mailing list at designingforanalytics.com podcast, I'll send you a reminder so you can participate live in those future webinars. Along with my insight articles, webinar announcements, and special promotions for my training offerings, I also send out one-page summaries of all of these podcast episodes, as well as full text transcripts on my site. I hope you find these resources helpful, and now let's bring in Carlos Gonzalez de Villambrosia, the CEO of Product School, to talk more about how we think product management and design skills can help data science and analytics efforts be more successful. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Hi, everyone, it's Brian. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. I'm really happy to have the CEO of Product School on the show today. This is Carlos Gonzalez de Villa Ambrosia, And Carlos, uh, bienvenidos, uh, Experiencing Data. How are you? Qué tal? Hola, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna nerd out a little bit to product management. And part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show today was, as, as some of my listeners and my mailing list subscribers know, I talk a lot about data product management and kind of the need to think product, even if you're working inside a company to use data to produce software applications and models and data driven solutions, having a product mindset where you kind of think about what if we had to like draw revenue on this solution that we're building What would the quality need to be of that? What would the user experience need to be if this was a revenue driving thing? So even if you're not building revenue generating tools directly, that product mindset and the way of developing software, I think is is a really powerful one to get out of the mindset of someone throws requirements over the wall and you're an order taker and you give them exactly what they want, because that's not really what most business leaders today want. They don't want their teams, especially their expensive data science and analytics teams providing. I mean, you could say, yeah, our job is to give what we were asked to give, but it's not. It's really to give what's needed. It's to figure out what's needed and to provide valuable solutions. So Carlos, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, You run product school, which is a training school for product managers. Why that? Like, how did you move out of uh, doing it to kind of running a school to teach it?
1: Sure. So as you said, I run product school, which is the global leader in product management training. I started this company six years ago, and it was just an idea, a solution to my own problem because I come from a technical background. I was a software engineer. And back in the day, it wasn't really clear where the options were if you are an engineer that doesn't want to code for the rest of their life. So my solution at that time was, well, let me try the opposite. Let me go to business school. And that's what I did. But that doesn't really resonate always. Actually, I met a lot of engineers who were in business school who were having the same issue. They were thinking business, and that's why they, they thought about business school. But at the same time, they didn't want to lose touch with the customer. They wanted to be able to build stuff and get the best out of both worlds. And that's exactly what I decided to do. Product school is a hybrid in between an engineering school and a business school. And I've worked as a software engineer for multiple years. I've I've been building products for different companies, but at the end of the day, my passion is in education. and, And I believe that it's very important to empower people to do what they want. And hopefully they can do it while they keep their life and they don't have to quit their jobs. And I'm very passionate about lifelong learning. And one of the things I'm most proud of with Product School is that this is for professionals who want to learn on the side, You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to put your life on hold. You can continue doing what you're doing. And this is something that you can do on the side to help you grow your career or break into product management.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. Do you, I I feel like in all the tech companies that I've worked with, I've worked with a lot of startups in the Boston area, particularly, I feel like Product management is often this thing that you grow, like no one goes directly to school and then goes into product management. It's like, ah, I used to be an engineer. Oh, I was a designer and I got into this. Oh, I was a whatever. I was a salesperson. I was in marketing. Does everyone still come into it that way? And, and are you seeing native product managers? And is there a difference between like a, a native career product manager versus someone who's come up through an, another channel, another discipline?
1: That was exactly the main reason why I, decided to build the first product school because it seemed that, oh my God, you, you cannot be a product person unless you have incredible ideas or you are almost like Steve Jobs or like there were a lot of misconceptions. Do do I need an MBA? Do I need an engineering degree? Can I just learn on the go? And the, the answer is all of the above. You can really, you can become a product manager by building products. You don't need to be a software engineer. You don't need to have an MBA. You don't need to be an incredible, inspiring visionary. This is stuff that you can learn. And the best way to learn it is by doing it.
0: I agree. I I think uh, a lot of The user experience and product design work and and, you know my own course that i teach on designing human centered data products is very focused on the act of doing as a means of learning and i think a lot of adult learning is best done that way as opposed to sitting in a class and and (laughs) memorizing skills and then you know and 10 years later you go out and try to apply them Um, you kind of need to learn this by doing and and part of that is because i feel like from you know my clients who are often product managers it's a very squishy gray job where like in some contexts you might have a heavy marketing responsibility and other ones you, you might be heavily involved with engineering, like particularly if it's a very technical type of product you can kind of be pulling these different channels and at different times you're doing more, you might be doing forecasting of, you know, like what's, what's the revenue potential for this thing, or what's the business plan. And then all of a sudden you're in the weeds, like in JIRA, like managing backlog. And, you know, do you like, do you agree it's, it's kind of for a generalist person who might have a, a strong vertical specialization in one area? Is that kind of the, the personality who works well as a product manager?
1: Yes, a product manager is a generalist. And in order to become a generalist, you usually have to have some sort of specialist before. So we define product management as the intersection in between business, engineering, and design. And you can become a good product manager from either of those options. So best PMs that we've seen are people who have previous experience building something as engineers, designers, data people, whatever it is, but they don't they know. They're very good at something very specific and they're able to become generalists to learn enough about the other areas just to be dangerous enough. Because as a generalist, you are never going to be the absolute best at everything. You just need to feel comfortable in the middle and know that even though before you used to be a an, an specialist at something, now you are the one who's going to be empowering the specialist to, to do their job. And your job is actually to align the vision.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a difference uh, yet in the requirements of being a good product manager for working with data, particularly so, uh, you know, AI product managers or people, you know, working more with analytical tools, how does the job description differ a little bit for them? Are you, are you seeing any trends?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we started, we were answering a lot of questions about how is product management different than project management or. Do we need product management at all? Now the market has evolved so much where if we need a product manager or not, it's it's not a question. We're seeing much more specialization within product management. So AI is, is a huge skill and you are seeing AI product managers the same way you can see growth product managers or product designers or technical product managers. So it's becoming its own industry. And obviously, when you're in a smaller organization, the product manager is still wearing different hats and uh, trying to cover everything. But as you look into larger organizations or organizations that have sophisticated product teams, you will see that there are different product managers depending on the type of product or the the type of function that you are trying to cover. Actually, this year, we released a report called The Future of Product Management. It's free, so anyone can find it online and download it. And um, we run this survey by over a thousand product leaders in our community across the world. One of the questions we asked them was about what are the skills that product managers need to learn in order to stay up to date? And the number one was artificial intelligence, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you had much uh, many conversations with AI product managers to, to kind of understand how is that job changing or what? Besides understand, you know, besides a, a, a basic understanding of what the technologies are that fit under the, the, the AI umbrella, cause there, there's many different ones. What's different about the role for an AI product manager? Like, can you talk a little bit about maybe those different skills that may be required or what does the business need that, you know, from that type of role, that's different than a traditional software product manager?
1: Yeah. So I would start with, you have to be a product manager. Everyone has to have a foundation. And then depending on the products that you are trying to build, then it's when you have to add layers of specific skills. So if you are working on a product that requires a lot of artificial intelligence or a lot of engineering power in general, then it's good that the product manager has some sort of domain knowledge around that. That doesn't mean that the product manager has to be the ultimate expert in that. Sometimes we see that product managers are not customers of the products that they are building. But they definitely need to be passionate about the problem that they are solving and curious enough to dig as deep as necessary to have conversations with engineers and other specialists in the topic. So I would say if someone is thinking about working in product, you have to learn product first. Don't try to learn AI and then product. But if you are passionate about AI and this is something that you really want to learn, then it's totally okay to start with AI and then, Hey, if you, at some point feel like it is better to move more towards the middle and get a strategic overview, then you can consider product. But those two things are slightly different.
0: Sure. No, I, and I understand what you're saying there about kind of, you know, career path direction, but in terms of, I mean, obviously you could fill in the brink, right? If, if I'm a, you know. I'm a supply chain product manager. Well, obviously you're gonna have domain expertise probably in supply chain if you're gonna call yourself that. But are there any are there any specifics you could share about how, you know, what someone that that is in this space is seeing about how being a product manager, working with machine learning and AI is different than the traditional thing. Like I never realized how much, you know, we need to do X, Y, and Z or how the product development life cycle is is very different or maybe it's not different i don't know have you heard much uh, about how that may be different or the same or i'm just kind of curious about those deltas yes
1: so first of all i think the word artificial intelligence machine learning big data and all of those are sometimes overused and a lot of people tend to just throw them out there because they are passwords and they may resonate or not the reality is if you truly want to understand artificial intelligence and be eventually a good AI product manager, you need to have a technical foundation. You can't just learn AI without any sort of technical background. I come from an engineering background. I remember I had a class on artificial intelligence. This is maybe 15 years ago when artificial intelligence wasn't very cool. It was even an optional subject. So, and and it was a lot of math and a lot of algorithms. So if you're really serious about working in high tech products or products that require AI, you need to build that foundation first. I think that starting from the top and thinking, oh, I'm just going to learn AI because it's it's cool. It's not going to give you really <clears throat> enough depth to make intelligent decisions and really empathize with your engineers at a deeper level.
0: Right, so if you have that skill already, then obviously we can all go take training for you know our skill gap areas and places that we want to get better at. What would be some of the skills like let's say i am a i'm a director of you know analytics and advanced analytics, so we're talking about you know predictive analytics machine learning, et cetera. If I already have that skill and I don't know what I don't know about product management but i've I've heard that this is an important thing and it it might be a good thing for my career and it might help me get better at deploying better solutions inside my company, what are some of the things I would be learning if I was to go study about product management that I might not know about if I'm coming from the data kind of perspective or the data world that that I don't even know exists. Like, tell me about some of those skills that I might be learning. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can help the most
1: because at Product School, we're all about teaching product management. So we expect that each of these students will bring their own domain expertise. In the same class, you may find experts in AI or in data You may find management consultants, you may find designers, but what's the common ground for all of them is that they want to move towards the middle. They want to learn a little bit more about the areas related to product management that they're not experts in. So at product school, you are not going to learn more about AI because you, I'm assuming that you're already an expert. We are going to show you how to better leverage your skills to empathize and connect with your designers with marketers, so you can really be in the mirror. And I repeat this concept a lot because that's a very common problem that we see with specialists that try to become generalists. The in their comfort zone, they tend to go back to what they're good at. And as a manager, we're intentionally pushing you to, to not do it, even if you think that you can do it better than another person. It's more about try to empower others, try to work on the strategy, try to really align the vision and let them define the how so it's especially critical with engineers. And I definitely had to work a lot on that because in an engineer school, nobody really taught me anything about how to communicate or speak in public. And And I find myself these days as a CEO, but in reality, as a product leader, that my work is literally communicating and making sure that everyone is aligned, regardless of the domain expert teams that I, that I had before.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I was a uh, director of analytics or VP of analytics and or AI or something like this in my company. And I needed to justify taking an expensive course to my management, right? Upper management, senior level or CXO level. What What would be the value or outcomes that I would get that, that I would be able to communicate to them in terms of like why this would be a good investment. Like what would the business get out of sending me to product school? when I'm already, you know, quite senior in my domain area and particularly thinking again about this audience that may not be working at a tech company, right? They're not going to be like marketing wouldn't even really be relevant. You know, you might have some quote internal marketing to do to help kind of sell the change over a little bit. But for the most part, you're not you're not building a, a revenue generating uh, product per se, but maybe you're overseeing a, a, an appli- a custom application that drives a bunch of the business operations or something like this. So what would someone like that tell their, you know, their uppers, their, you know, their boss or their management about what the value would be when they come back from the school, what would they get?
1: But well, if they are already considering it, there is a reason why, probably. And in general, what we've seen in organizations that are engineering driven or basically not product driven is that it's because of the founders. They, they had the, the specific background and that the company or their product was built around it and it, it worked and it's growing but at some point there is a there is a lack of really alignment in between different functions so yes let's say you are an amazing engineer or you have an you built an amazing technical product that is that is working and you have customers but you can't just continue growing by adding new features you definitely need someone in the middle who is going to be coordinating all those efforts and and building an experience for existing and new customers. And this is, as you at the beginning mentioned, the product mindset. I completely agree with you. This goes beyond product management. It's really creating the, the mindset around, we are all building a product, even if my title is AI or data or product or engineering, whatever it is. And we need to understand that this goes beyond just our area of expertise. And if nobody's really taking care of that vision. If everyone is so focused on building and the next feature and the next data report and the next design, whatever it is, then we're going to find ourselves in this trap where, yes, we have a monster <laughs> that has a lot of different options, but who are we targeting really and how are we going to grow through product instead of just through making sales goals?
0: I agree. I, so I've seen this a lot and I, I feel like sometimes the role becomes... You're, I feel like you're you're managing Jira, or you're managing some tool and a backlog, and and it and it gets into this process of focusing heavily on following the process a lot of the time. And sometimes I feel like the I, what I've seen with product managers is they're kind of checked out a little bit sometimes on the big picture piece. How do you avoid? doing that. So you're not really managing consistently to engineering milestones, right? Did we ship, did we get the release out on time? Like, regardless of whether or not the release created any value, we're focusing heavily on like, you know, our efficiency, our burn rate and, you know, number of tickets we banged out and all this kind of stuff, which is important. And and I understand those structures and processes can help. I know I feel like sometimes it, it, it can you get a little bit lost or myopic uh, vision. Do you see this? And like, how do you, how do you think about that? Or, or am I the only one seeing this?
1: You are definitely seeing this uh, along many, many other organizations. It has that type of change has to come from the top because the solution is not to just, oh, I hire a product manager and then suddenly everything works. There has to be a clear commitment and understanding that we can't just continue growing this way. We cannot just continue growing by making just a bigger sales push and letting our engineers dictate what are the features that we're going to solve. There has to be a common vision. There has to be a strategy around it. And someone has to own it. And at the very beginning, especially in tech companies, the founders are acting as that product person. But it gets to a point where you just have so many engineers and so many other things to do that you'd have to hire people to own the product. And of course, as a founder or early employee, you still have a strong opinion on the roadmap, but, but there has to be someone strategically owning this. And, and we saw that before, back in the day, product management used to be a function within marketing or even engineering, depending on the organization. Now, product, it's dedicated function. And there is a role called chief product officer that reports to the CEO. And in most cases, the CEO actually comes from a product background.
0: hmm I really enjoy working for those types of clients when they do, because they tend to understand, I I feel like they really understand the importance, Um, especially today when like the, the tolerance for, for bad software and stuff that doesn't work is, is very low. I think people have gotten so used to applications and things work, just working well by default without the struggle. I think when leadership has that product mindset, they really understand the value of like, why do we need, like, what does it mean to deliver quality? Like, how do we measure quality and are we going to be quality focused or not? It's a different lens than than coming from a financials background, right? Where I feel like the, the kind of that there's this void of understanding sometimes between user experience and how the product, you know, the product leadership really needs to be in charge of of delivering that experience with the design group to ensure that these things get used, right? And to ensure that they actually turn into some type of value in the last mile. Do you think that over time, we're going to see more and more product people move into those leadership positions, uh, the executive, like, do you think product management is a natural escalation path to, to the C-suite or, or not necessarily?
1: It is. And it's already happening. So if you look at Comtaft, Dropbox, Airbnb, Stripe, they're all unicorns and they're huge. and uh, Some of them are public and their CEOs are product, uh, former product managers. And that is something that it's really, really important because it sends a very strong message from the top. Like we are caring about the overall experience of the user. We are not just to build new features or we are not just to push uh, new clients to use this product just because the person who signed it is different from the person who's actually using it, which I think is is the biggest problem in the B2B world. Now we see this trend where it doesn't matter if your product is B2C or B2B or it's an internal product. The user experience is critical
0: yeah i i think that's still i think that's changing finally just as i talked to you know i mean i talked to a a chief data product officer yesterday at a healthcare company and he's like you know empathy is my number one word i'm constantly hammering this into my staff i i feel like it's changing but a, a lot of the analytics community i feel like there's a lot of dust still in this industry and i hear particularly about some of the the really large brick and mortar companies who still don't think of themselves as software companies, and maybe their ultimate deliverable today, they're building physical products or whatever, you know, they, they, they fear this tech startup coming out of nowhere and disrupting them, but they're not making the, it's like, well, why don't you think about copying some of the, the ingredients they're using? You may not copy the cake, but you can look at what they're doing. And for example, there's, No product managers in your business and there are no designers, yet you're you're relying more and more on software to to push the business forward. And you're not being consistently good at delivering useful, usable solutions that actually get adopted by the business. And you're wondering why you're worried about, you know, some upstart. Well, look at the roles that they put as foundations in there I don't I always talk about this power trio between engineering product management and design and when you have those three hats together and I'm saying engineering this would include uh data you know a data scientist today or someone if you're working with ML or AI a technical lead right someone that really understands the data and the technical piece of it working with product management and design that trio or quartet if you have that and the in this the the energy is right and the the relationships are really strong, boy, you can get a lot of stuff done and you can re- you can iterate quickly and really produce some great stuff. So I'm 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 a big fan. I don't. Know, I guess I didn't have a question there. I was kind of going off on a rant. Where it's you know just because I don't know if you hear this at all. If you talk too much to some of these companies that maybe are 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 very early in their product management journey about the importance of of this uh, to, to to focus on producing useful value, you know?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm passionate about. I've spent many years of my life building products and also learning on the go. So there was no structure path. And I understand that obviously each company is different. They come from different industries and there are some specifics. But there is a foundation that everyone has to agree with, as, as you were saying, like they're developing this eye for the user experience, understanding that. Products are not just ideas and there has to be some data that backs up certain certain, uh, hypotheses. And also all of that has to be connected to the business. So if we agree that that triangle is product management and product is in the middle, that's, that's a really good start. And then we can dig deeper and see how we can adapt certain frameworks and processes to your product and to your stage of maturity. Because obviously... It's not the same to create this type of product mindset in a small organization than in a Fortune 500. But something that I may add here which I think it's really important at least from my experience as a student. I spent a lot of time in traditional universities and schools and my biggest thing is I didn't want to be like most of my professors. And The problem is that because they are professors like I I want to apply what I'm learning especially in tech or in product. It's, it's critical. So we definitely, we only work with product leaders who are actively working in top companies, such as Google, Facebook, Airbnb, Uber, and others. It is very important to connect reality with the, with the school piece. So if you want to learn more about product at an individual level or at an organization level, you are going to be learning directly from the people who are doing it, not from the people who say how things are done, but don't do it.
0: Yeah, that's that, the academic versus kind of applied. <laughs> I think that exists in a lot of, you know, in the design world as well, you know, there's a difference between doing design in school and, and and doing it in a business context. And and I'm sure that's probably the same with machine learning and some of these as well. In fact, that's a that's a challenge in the data space, right? You have a lot of people, uh, very highly trained people, you know, often with a master's or, or PhD level backgrounds in math and statistics coming into business context without that that knowledge, right? And so a lot of times there's this friction be- because they're not there to, they don't think that they're there to find the problems and the opportunities to, to move the business forward. They're waiting for someone to hand them a data problem, <laughs> a modeling problem, right? And then to go off and do that work. And then there's this kind of rub. So I think part of the product Management mindset, if you are coming to that area, is to realize part of your job now is to be a problem finder, is to help set the strategy. It's to help ensure that our model is not the solution. The model has to do what it was intended to do in order for it to actually be a useful solution and create value for the business. You have to escalate or you have to elevate the perspective, right? Get, get above. Exactly.
1: The,
0: <laughs> you get That's up. exactly <laughs> it.
1: We should have you in the in the classroom because <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point. And, and to be honest, the good news for people who have who come from such strong background in data or technology is that they already did the hardest part. They are already specialized and geniuses in in one area. Now the key is how to let go a little bit and spend a little bit more time in the middle, learning about non data things, basically design and business. So. That is everything. And that goes the other way around for product people or existing product managers or let's say aspiring product managers who come from design or business, not from data. They they are not expected to become data scientists but they are expected to develop an appreciation for data. You cannot just make decisions based on ideas or just qualitative research. There has to be some data to back it up and And now there's there's been a lot of evolution in the space. There's so many tools out there that allow non-technical people manipulate data. You can run very complex queries without knowing CQL. You can create uh, very complex reports. You can really understand trends. And just to give you an example, we just launched a report called The State of Product Analytics with a company called Mixpanel. And it was very refreshing to see that There are a lot of companies out there, very, very big ones that, first of all, don't really pay that much attention to data. Like, Yes, they they measure the basics, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to really dig deep and, and understand your customers. So I think data people, people who come from a data background, have an amazing opportunity to move towards the middle and become great product people.
0: When you talk about the middle, I, I kind of use that same analogy. You know, I think about a, a bicycle wheel, right, with the hub in the center and the spokes coming out. Product management is kind of that hub, right, and and it reports up into the business. But you have all these different spokes: QA and software engineering, maybe data science and analytics, product design, user experience design. These are all kind of spokes. So. When you say talk when you say moving to the middle, is that kind of what you're thinking about <laughs> as well?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I keep repeating that that message because I think it's it's easy to understand. It's not about, hey, let absolutely everything go. It's just you're not you're not going to spend all your time working in data. You are going to need to spend time communicating with other people and hey, leverage your data background. But don't forget that if you want to be a, a leader in product. You cannot be solving these problems directly. You are going to need to empower other data people to to help you with the how, with the solution, and you can maximize your time defining the the why and the what.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit. I just want to shift gears for a second. Like, say, in the last five years, maybe ten years, or something. Have you seen the dance between? Product design and, and technical change, like the, the relationships there, like h- how has design changed in the product world or how has engineering changed from the product, th- those relationships? Like what's different now?
1: So traditionally, most of product managers used to come from a software engineering background, at least in Silicon Valley, but that has changed. Now we see product managers coming from all types of backgrounds. Design is one of those business. Data. When I say data, in reality, it's part of engineering or, or technical uh, backgrounds. But honestly, I think we should bring more designers to the mix. I'm a big advocate of user design and developing an eye for design. And we still need more of that into the product management industry because that's ultimately going to help build better products. And uh, that's something we were discussing early. Like if we truly believe that we're building an experience for the user, no matter if this is a consumer product or an enterprise product or an internal product, someone truly has to believe in it and care and and push it. If we are only, uh, we have engineers in the room, who is going to advocate for the user experience?
0: Right, right. I think a lot of uh, my feeling is that a lot of the the designers who have moved into product roles, moved, in, moved into this role because of the rub with product management, the friction there, or it was too hard, they, they were tired of putting out stuff that they thought maybe wasn't wasn't meeting the user experience requirements, right? Or would stand in the way of, of, of progress. So tell me a little bit about that. Do you think that's true? And I was really kind of asking more about the working relationship between product management and design and product management and engineering how those relationships have changed not not necessarily the people going into it but that's i guess that's kind of related to it and i i wonder if that's why they're coming designers are moving into product management is because the relationship is needs work still i don't know like (laughs) do you think it's gotten better do you think it's gotten worse like (laughs) you know it's it's, data i hear also gets in the way i mean i know designers who have left big companies because You know, like my friend Doug Bowman, I think, you know, we talked about leaving Google, I think it was because they're, you know, wanted to study the 50 different shades of blue to optimize which precise hex value of blue would convert the best. And at that point, you're never going to leap to the next mountain with that. You you know, it's a local maximum, right? You're iterating towards a local maximum with that, but it's never going to tell you what the next big leap is. So data can work against it too. So what do you think? Like, <laughs> tell me about these relationships and have they changed and is it getting better or worse? Like,
1: but the, the good thing is that now we have options. Back in the day, at least when I was an engineer, nobody told me anything about product management. So I felt that, oh my God, I made the wrong choice and now I have to stick to it. Well, no, now you can decide and both options are right. There are people who are very passionate about specific part of the product mm-hmm. and they want to continue being a specialist and that's fine if you want to do your research about the 50 shades of blue but then you should never be a product manager you should be an amazing <laughs> de- designer or, or researcher <laughs> right or the same for engineers actually that's what my, majority of people enjoy being just very good at one thing but there's a small percentage of people <laughs> who feel that frustration of hey you know i spent enough time doing something very specific but i'm I want to have a bigger influence over the, the entire product mm-hmm. and I, my function is just not enough. So what are my options? Well, good news, that option is called product or product management. And that's the type of people who who take training, who seek help, who are who try and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's to a specific question about the relationship between designers and product or engineers and product. It's critical and and that's why Empathy is very important and that's why it's really good that the product managers have some experience before. Because if you are just, you just jump into the mix and you don't really, you've never been in an engineering room or a design room, then how are you really going to empathize with those specialists if you have no idea about what's going on, how they feel and what their motivations are? So I'm a big believer in having some experience on the ground first as a specialist, no matter what type of specialty you like, and then move towards the middle. And if you are going to move towards the middle, then you are in the middle, like you should try to eliminate your bias towards your previous specialty because otherwise it's not going to work. And you probably have to work extra hard to connect with the specialist in the areas that you are not an specialist at. And that requires work. And it also requires some time because at the end of the day, this is an iterative process. And nobody has the answer. We, we know a lot of wrong answers, but you also have to put yourself out there. And the best way I've seen in our students and in my experience is, is to try to let things go because the more time you spend doing what somebody else can do, the less time you have to really lead and communicate, which is what you are hired for in the first place as a product leader.
0: Yes, I, I would fully agree with that. I think if you're spending all your and I've seen this a lot more, more on the engineering side, but I think anyone that's technical and understands, especially when we think about, you know, modern data pipelines and and when we're working with advanced analytics, et cetera, there is so much plumbing to get right in order to even start talking about building the last mile, the 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 reporting and the modeling and, and applications, et cetera. The draw to pull you back into Should we do it? Should this be a cloud deployment? Should this be on-prem? Should we be doing it this way? Should we use this stack or that stack? What architecture is it going to support? Blah, blah, blah. That stuff is important, but if you're spending all of your time arguing with your technical people on those choices, who who is at the top of the ship, right? Who is at the wheel? You know, looking at the big picture, right? It, it, and I've seen this a lot where these long architectural arguments about stuff because the product management came out of an engineering field and they almost know too much about how it's going to be implemented or could be implemented. And, you know, I get it, right? You have some experience, you've like, I've seen this ship sink when we go this way. But that's not your job anymore. And I, I, I feel like delegation is such a talent. It's a talent and a skill. You have to get really good at that letting go and and saying, you know what, I don't own that decision anymore. They need to own that decision. Like they're the head of engineering. They're the head of design. It's their decision. I need to move us forward at the big picture and then we'll revisit. I don't know. You, <laughs> is that do you see that, too? That is that's exactly it. Um So that's that's what I, I
1: love fixing. Uh, I think it's a fascinating opportunity for individuals and for organizations to really start thinking about a team and aligning those teams around just a vision and have someone own that vision instead of not have anyone or have just an specialist on it. And that actually, by the way, applies within the product organizations because when your companies are big enough and you start having multiple products or multiple product managers, you will realize that in a way you you have the same challenge, which is, okay, I have a bunch of product managers now who is owning the entire portfolio. And you will see that even within product, which is already a generalist role, there are people who enjoy getting their hands dirty and working directly with engineers, designers, and business people. And there are other type of product managers, it's called Group product managers or VPs of product, eventually a CPO, which is more of a manager of managers, and that is the person who is trying to make sense of the overall vision between all the different products, and that's the person who is going to focus on hiring and culture. And there is no right or wrong answer, but I think it's very important to know your options.
0: Mm-hmm. T- tell me, ab- what is the gap between? Uh- a skilled product manager and an exceptional one, like what push, what pushes you into the exceptional category?
1: So what, what pushes you into the exceptional category, it's like being obsessed with your customer, being obsessed with data. So you cannot just say, oh, I'm obsessed with my customer because, because I, I think I know the customer, you have to be checking your hypothesis and, and running experiments all the time. So Experimentation is number one, and you can only do it by really caring about the user and really caring about the data. And then number two, it's, it's empathy. You have to really understand that you are not an engineer or a data or a net designer or a business person anymore. You are in the middle and you have to spend time with your people. And then last, the last thing, but definitely not least, is that curiosity. When you talk to product people... And uh, you will realize that they are there for a reason. These are people who are constantly learning, but not just about their, their their products. They're constantly learning in general, reading books, practicing sports, doing whatever it is, but like always looking at what's new and wanting to play around with it just to be dangerous enough. So I think those, those three areas, uh, ca- obsession with the customer based on data, obsession with empathy, and then obsession with learning or just being curious
0: are really critical that's awesome. Thank, yeah, Thanks for sharing that. And would you say, is there, one, is there one big problem or skill gap overall that you see today that, that the field of product management needs to get better at? So, does something really stick out?
1: So experimentation, it's something that it's, uh, so data, it's something that it's growing for a good reason. I think before a lot of the products were made based on, ideas, gut feelings, vision, now we're moving more towards an agile environment where it's still good to have big ideas, but you are going to execute in in smaller sprints, increments of time. So you are going to create a series of hypotheses, run them, by the market, get some data, and then based on that, influence the next iteration. In order to do that effectively, you need to feel comfortable with data. That doesn't mean that you need to be a data scientist, but you need to definitely have an appreciation for that instead of just, you know, ideas or gut feelings.
0: Yeah, I get that. I, I, th- I feel like in some context, though, that as much as I kind of love the idea of what's the what's the shortest path to to learning, right, the, the next increment of learning that we can get to inform the next choice after that. I totally get that. At the same time, I feel like with especially with data products, sometimes the the initial lift can be really significant so like getting to the point where where you can do smaller uh increments of work there's a challenge there like (laughs) is there any suggestions you might have for for an environment like that where it's kind of like thinking about what is the mvp of a rocket ship right like it's like is it an airplane well i don't know because you're not flying into space so really it's a failure if you don't ever get into space you could say well it just doesn't matter right so like how how do you how do, you, how do the best product managers think about this when we're talking about really big enterprise, uh, really complicated systems? What, is, what does that mean when it's not just an app, you know, a consumer app or something where you can deploy A-B testing and, and get, you know, a million people, you know, worth of data to tell you, like, should it be orange or blue? And should we go to this workflow or that workflow? Like, talk to me about that.
1: I get it. And uh, it's almost a chicken and egg problem because uh, you, in, in some cases, you you cannot have that MVP or your MVP is really complex. But for the majority of cases, I'm sure there are things that you can do before you fully deploy something. And the good news is that there's a lot of tools out there that help you do that. You don't have to build everything yourself, meaning there are a lot of data or analytic solutions. Just mention a few to give an idea. So you have customer data platforms that allow you to ingest data directly, to track You don't have to even think about what you want to track because it's tracking everything automatically in a raw format. But then you have your own data analytics or product analytics solutions that allow you to make sense of that data and visualize it in a way that it's really nice and doesn't require a very complex implementation. So just to mention a few names, so on the CDP side, Customer Data Platforms, you have Segment or MParticle. On the product analytics side, you have companies such as Mixpanel, Heap, or amplitude, or even Pendo, that really help product people and data people see and do things without having to build it themselves. And then you can always make that decision later on if you, if your product is so specific that you really need to build your own custom solution. Well, that's your choice. But at the very beginning, I definitely encourage product people to focus on what they are unique and try to rely on third party apps, tools, or data sets so they can get to market faster.
0: Yes. and Just a quick reminder. I think it was episode 17 of the show experiencing data. We had John Cutler on actually from Amplitude to talk about analytics and storytelling with data and some of these good things. So, so I think, I think those are some great suggestions for, for bringing a uh, ironically pulling data out about your your users right not necessarily thinking about the data that's actually forming the product or the model or the solution but data about usage and the people that are engaging with it so especially if you're you're deploying something at scale for external customers right because internally you may not, you may be serving you know 5 or 10 people as opposed to you know thousands or millions so so that that's that's great stuff just last question here this has been super great conversation thanks for for coming on the show is there one thing that you would have changed uh, about your own kind of growth into the product management space? Like if you could start over and, and, and change something, what would that be? Is, is there one thing?
1: Uh, yes. And that's why I built product School because I think it took me too long to really know what I wanted. So one thing that I wish I had done earlier in my career is to maybe spend less time on engineering or, uh, or spend more time on design and business to really supplement the skill sets that i didn't get in school so i could really become a full stack
0: product manager excellent well th- thanks for sharing that and uh just in terms of like following your work uh i think your twitter handle is product school and it's productschool.com right you have tell us a little bit you have training courses there and there's a conference too is that right yeah so we build the largest community for people who care about product we are uh, at this point over a
1: million members and we put together as many free resources as possible. So conferences, like you mentioned, it's called ProductCon. It's absolutely free. We do it six times per year. We used to do them in in person in in different cities, in San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, and London. Now we're doing them online. We also have books. We have a podcast. We actually released one thing called Productverse, which is exactly what we just discussed before, is the universe of products out there. So for anyone looking for Tools for data analytics, tools for user testing, tools for prototyping. You have an entire list where you can see the best solutions for each category. So at the end of the day, I, I'm all about building a community and helping people grow in product. And then in addition to those free resources, we also offer our certifications, especially for, for professionals who are very serious about, you know, getting certified and moving to the next level. And we do that at an individual level, but also at a corporate level. Cool. Excellent.
0: Well, uh, definitely check that out, folks, productschool.com. Carlos, uh, muchas gracias. Thanks for coming on the show and and, and talking to us about product management today. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. And let's keep building cool stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag ExperiencingData. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com podcast.